You're recording live today from Sage Music here in Long Island City, a school that turns people of all ages from students into musicians. The school has a unique curriculum which teachers focus personal attention and utilize a holistic approach to teaching every student. The school is owned by inspirational Iraq War veteran Jason Sagabiel, who offers classes in guitar, piano, cello, violin, and voice. Also check out the recently opened new location in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. To learn more about Sage Music, visit www.sagemusic.co.co. We're also brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash improvnoise. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This is Improv Noise. And in order to get started, we need a suggestion of something you can't do. We sit down with Mr. Philip Markle. Enjoy. Speaking of improvising, uh, when you when you're where are you right now with your improv? What are you like? Uh, what are you actively thinking when you're improvising? Or are you actively thinking anymore? Are you just like flying? I mean, it's a combination of uh, tips and and uh, and uh, ways of being on stage that I've just gotten comfortable with. So right. one thing that I would think about at the top of a scene is the, what was the first thing I did. And to me, I mean, that's a very like annoying thing that has become ingrained in the way I play now. And it's very quick, and it feels effortless. It's just like, okay, what did I do? And it's just sort of like, a, okay, that's me. I came on, and I was very sassy. And I play a lot of sassy characters. <laughs> and, but um, I was sassy, and I had this thing to say to the other person. And I'm going to remember that and use that to heighten myself in the scene so I don't have to worry about what to say, but I have my, my filter to, through, to, to see the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Very cool, very cool. So um, just uh, whatever it was, whether it was something forced, organic, or whatever the fuck happened up top, that's what you're going to take, and you know you're going to heighten that throughout the rest of the scene. Yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the first thing I said. And I I do think about that for a a brief moment on stage, Mm -hmm. and I I give myself that moment so I can remember what I promised to the audience. Yeah, but you're really trained in that style. Like When you were learning it or coming up through it, did you ever find that the first thing you did was just like a placeholder? We were just like, "Mm mm-hmm. Like Like dead time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You didn't really... I mean, you could really pick apart anything, but you just, it's like nothing. Well, here's the thing. If you don't make the first thing you did important, and the audience, I think, does think it's important, because in improv, you can say anything, and they assume that what you said, you said for a reason. First impressions last a lifetime. Exactly. (laughs) So you've made a first impression as this character, uh, whether you think it's important or not. If you don't think it's important and you move on, I don't really know how to play without it being slightly worried about if it's going to be okay and what to say and what to find. It's a searching mode. I'm searching for the scene versus if I just know the first thing I said is enough, then I found the scene. I'm, I am the scene. I'm living it out. You already have everything you need. I have everything I need and I can play. Mm-hmm. Plus the audience doesn't forget. They see everything clearer than you do. You know. Yeah. Or, or they hear everything way better than, than, than the improvisers on stage do. It's their job to be just as good as listening as the audience is. Yeah. Right? So, like, um, if uh, going through the pro, uh, going like, as a younger improviser, forgetting stuff up top, you've already lost the audience because the whole time they're thinking, wait a minute, what about that stuff up top? Like, they, they don't forget that. They remember everything. Yeah. And I think different schools have a philosophy about, like, how long an audience will wait mm-hmm. to start recording what happened in the scene the annoyance mm. basically says three seconds right like you have three seconds to sort of show your deal to the audience um other places that i trained sort of like you can be in this limbo state for like 20 seconds and then you'll find the thing um and the audience will forget that 20 seconds of the scene happened i don't feel from my experience that that's true yeah. but i can see people who do that method of improv successfully for me, it just gets me in my head. Yeah, I've heard that too. Because like, well, if the scene's funny, then that's all they'll remember. They won't remember the first ten seconds when you were like acclimating to the character or the premise of the situation that you were given. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, how, how would you deal with if someone like painted you in a way that you weren't ready for? Like, let's say you go on stage and you yawn. This is actually, I think, from his book. You yawn and go oh, Sundays, and someone goes, you know, oh my God, it's um, fuck. I'm trying to think of something to contradict that. Oh, it's um. Wow, you're the most uh, intense. Uh, you're being so intense right now. Then you have to just filter that through being bored, I guess. I, I don't know. I just, 
I feel like when you get like painted as something, that would be an excuse to drop your shit. It would be an excuse. And for me, My it's connecting. Shitty, <laughs> no, no, it was a great example. It's connecting the dots. Okay. So I've told the audience I'm Yanni character right. and I'm talking about Sunday. Okay. You say how intense what I'm saying is. So I connect Sunday, yawn, to intensity. And I think about, you know, oh, we're going to have the most involved brunch of all time <laughs> i can't wait but i do it through yanni and then that gives the other person like oh my god involved brunch this is going to go on for hours intensity yeah and that's how he shows being intense by being like if he's that's his his, his intensity then what's his boring probably like crazy crazy like bored and like yawned and his intensity is how yawny and boring he is <laughs> and that's a great gift to, to give someone the opposite because when opposites merge together it's usually funny that's true uh-huh. you that's know like true. when 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 a, when some drive of you're an intense person through the lens of someone who yawns all the time it doesn't look like they're an intense person that's just the cover in which the book is mm-hmm. you just you all you did was label what the pages inside that book were right you know as opposed to judging a book by its cover and i have a full flesh character right away right mm-hmm. you know? and, and the book we're talking about is mcnapier's book improvise, improvise. Right. which is what we base a lot of our training at the annoyance about but um, I think that mo- a lot of improvisers, if you come on being sad McSnapperson and someone tells you you won the lottery, yeah. a lot of people will drop their sadness to justify the happiness of it. Right. When the annoyance would say, get sadder, that's the worst news you've ever heard because you promised the audience you were sad McSnapperson. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Oh, right, and then you, have, uh, then you have like, uh, oh, he brought something, but he dropped it and he left it behind. And the audience isn't going to forget that. No or or it's, it's disappointing almost, like he deflated his own character. And it's, it's ironic because you're coming from a place of trying to yes-and your partner's thing they gave you. But you can yes-and it, like the news that you won the lottery, through your character's sadness. You don't ignore what they said, but you, you like enfold it on yourself. Like, you know, it just comes to the folds of your character. Versus, I dropped my character, now I'm, now I'm making you look great. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, supporting your idea. Right. Take care of yourself. Yeah, Exactly. You won the lottery. It's like, oh, man, I just gave half of that to a government I don't support. Damn it, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Government takes 50% of that. <laughs> you know. There you go. So you're just cycling through your filter of being pissed off. And then the facts are the lottery, but you're finding a way to filter or, that. And Or you won the lottery. <laughs> my mom won the lottery. That happened on the day she died. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh God that's the last thing I need to remember today. <laughs> the fact that my mom died winning the lottery. Do you know my mom actually won the lottery? Really? Uh, Is she no still alive? No way. Was, she didn't win the big lottery, but oh. she got like five out of six. Oh. And, wow. Um, that's and like five digits? It's, it's like five digits. I mean, nice. the taxes and everything, it's never yeah. as much as you think it's going to be. But it was like a good 10 Gs that she got at one point. Fantastic. And I'll never forget, my mom was a little psychic. Mm. She, she said, Alan, my dad, pull over. We're playing the lottery. And it just came out of nowhere. <laughs> and at this time, I was watching uh, Lost, I think. And right, I remember right. the numbers, like this idea that numbers are out there. Right. They never really followed up with that thread in Lost, Fucking by the way. Lost. Fucking like so many threads they, I, I put my emotional time into and they never followed up with. Yeah, uh, Hugo or whatever. He, he was, he, him and his numbers. I'm trying to remember what that was. Yeah. I don't. You're right. I don't think they ever really. You go won the lottery and lost. That's why yeah. I'm thinking of that with but those yeah. numbers. Yeah, my mom. Um, my mom won. Nice. Yeah, and, and did well. Uh, we, it was great. It was. A, yeah. It was a brief moment of my childhood. <laughs> my <laughs> uncle won the lottery. Really? When I was younger. Yeah. And uh, my dad now plays it because of that. <laughs> but I'm just like, no, 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 no. That's wrong. Because if if anyone in your family wins a lottery, that means you're done. You've done. Families your don't win tickets. lotteries twice. Yeah. No. Lightning. Statistically, no. Uh, Philip Markle is the uh, New York Director of Education at the Annoyance Program, the Annoyance Productions Program in Brooklyn, the Annoyance Theater. Uh, runs a school and soon to perhaps run a, on space, mm-hmm. maybe coming eventually. up, from Chicago, where he did a lot of work at the Annoyance, a lot of shows, including your one-man show, The Sparkle Hour, mm-hmm. which you've done here in New York, the New York Fringe, as well as at the Pit, mm-hmm. and I'm sure future productions coming down the pike. I'm going to write something new. Oh, something new? Yeah. Sparkle Hour 2? Um, I'm tentatively calling it Sparkle Death. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, what's beyond being a twink? Uh, I don't know. You know, what's, what's past post-twink? Bears? And, and Twonk? Bears? <laughs> I don't know. I suppose bears could be post-twink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gain a lot of weight, you grow a beard out. <laughs> oh, my God. 
anyway, also uh, uh, was on a boat with Second City, yes. did the Second City uh, uh, cruise lines, and then um, IO as well. You're in house teams on IO. I was uh, performing with the Deltones at IO, and then oh. other musical improv uh, thingamajing. I was with uh, Baby One's Candy in Chicago yeah. and out here a little bit. Awesome. Yeah, I've seen them many times out here. Really fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, do they, they still? I remember they used to perform in Soho Rep every Saturday. They're they in hiatus right now because oh, they're doing okay. Fifty Shades, which is a musical that's off Broadway right now that they ah. they wrote, and it's going very well. Um, and that's their focus right now. But I'm hoping we're going to start up more baby shows in New York. Yeah, that would be cross great. my fingers. That'd be fun. I used to love watching Baby Wants Candy shows. Um, yeah, awesome. uh, is there anything else you want to add to that? That's great. Cool. Awesome. You rule. <laughs> so uh, I have a question about. Uh, holding on to your shit uh, within the first lines. So let's say it's going well. Uh, the first line happened, that actor's going to hold on to their shit, whatever it is. The second line happened, that actor's going to hold on to their shit. So what moves the scene? What what creates the audience interest? Is it just seeing how those two things come together or battle? Uh, those two points of view, how do they mix? Uh, what keeps it moving? What keeps it, you know, what's the fuel in there? Well, the f- that's a great question. The fuel is uh, to me your deal, that okay. thing that you promise to the audience, is like a rocket ship. And each person on stage is in their own rocket ship. This is not me needing to get on board your rocket so that we can try and power up together. I'm in my own rocket. My rocket is my deal. And everything is fuel for my deal. So um, what you say in the scene, what you do in the scene, what I do, what comes to my mind. Uh, so if I've told the audience that I'm Mr. Mr. Happy and I'm so thrilled by everything, then... My left brain is thinking about all the things that make me happy in the scene. And that is more and more fuel to put in my rocket ship. And the scene will happen. The scene will take, just by the nature of being on stage and making choices and continuing to heighten yourself and go deeper and deeper and unfolding new mm. things about your deal. Not, not wider. We're not going to new things. You know, It's not like I'm changing my mind on stage. I'm going deeper into that first thing. I'm unpacking it. How much can I get out of that first thing I said? The scene will happen. And I don't have to worry about it going well. It will just go. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay, and the audience is okay, and we're all having fun. And I'm just playing within my deal, which means that I have no weight on my shoulders to take care of the scene, to take care of my partner, to have a good beginning, middle, and end. These things just happen. And I can sort of just exist in a moment-to-moment, more actor-based state than me trying to direct where the scene's going and worry about what's next. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, heightening, uh, so heightening that one character's deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that that also pertains to a solo performance? W- what do you think benefit is having two or three people all with deals mixing them together compared to just someone with a deal doing a solo performance? Well, if I'm on stage by myself and I, I fucking love coming out and just doing a monologue because <laughs> I'm an egomaniac, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Come uh, see uh, Sparkle's death. <laughs> sparkle death, Sparkle death. Uh, they... It's just it's just I'm creating all the fuel for myself in that case. Right. It's fun to improvise with another person because then they're they're your dinner too. You know, okay. like we're both gonna eat each other up. Uh, <laughs> notice I said up, not out. Yeah, nice. And uh <laughs> and, and and there's more just that's on the table. If I'm by myself, great. I can take care of myself and create right. everything. But the joy of having someone else on stage is uh that as long as they hold on to their deal. Well, then that's just more fuel for me to play with. But I do want them to hold on to their character. I don't want them to change to make to help me. You help me by holding on to your shit. Yeah, certainly. Wow, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, there is that mixture of like what will happen when these two forces co- collide. You know, that's exciting. That is exciting. And I'll, it's who knows. Also, I, I I see like an overlying thing with improv as you as you get better at it and then do it more and more and more. I notice that the more skilled improvisers just do the most with as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Where I figure like uh, when you're just starting out, you want to hop from thing to thing to thing and then move on from this and this and this, and that can be very surfacey, you know, like you don't really get to dive into anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I think when 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 you're really into it, what you want to do is you want to dive into something small and simple or whatever just happened. Anything that happened, take it. And really uh, dissect it and figure out exactly what the greater meaning of it is. What does it mean, you know? Um, and really dive into something, just the one simple concept or something. That dive into that. I think that the better you can do that, I think, is the true um, skill of, an, of a developed improviser. I think. Yes, simplicity and specificity. And there's this quote, and I don't know who to attribute it to properly, but um, starting a scene with a brick 
versus starting a scene with a cathedral. Right. If you walk on with a labored who, what, where that you put on the table that now I have to deal with, well, that's a cathedral that I have to deal with. But if you come on and you say one thing loaded with emotion, like Sundays, well, then that gives me a world of possibility. You told me more than you even knew you told me, and I can unpack that in so many ways if I'm patient and I... And I and I go one brick at a time. Interesting. So that's that is I the one that, approach, the and the, you did not say that quote. I said it after I said it eventually. I have heard you say it before, but Someone I don't know if you were the first. Was. So that 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 example, I guess the opposite of that would be, oh Sundays, the day where my I have to take my kids to the monster truck show. I hate that, and I'm like giving a, a who and a what, and probably a where soon my station wagon or mm-hmm. the bus if I'm of lower class. <laughs> and, uh, it's not where we were then, though. When you said that, we were probably I, somewhere. I else. guess not. I'd say yeah. a subway. We're eating at Subway. So that 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 opening line has so much information that we're then going to have to to kind of sift through. Where your initiation of just oh Sundays and a, a little bit more of a downward intonation to it really has a lot of things that have yet to be discovered. Is that kind of what you're going at with that? Yeah, and I'm not saying that the who, what, and where aren't important. They are. That's specifics on stage. Right. But uh, two things. One, by taking our time with that information and and um, handing it out like cards to the audience in our magic trick of the scene over time, I'm not burning all my magic tricks at once. I'm not showing all my cards. I'm holding on to them. If you ever go see a TJ and Dave show, they sometimes won't tell you where they are in their scene, um, until 35 minutes into the show, and then it gets an uproarious laugh because they were patient enough to know that they could use that information when the audience actually cared about the people speaking versus mandatory information that we have to say at the top of a scene. The other thing is people in real life don't talk like that. In real life, people don't come up and say, hey, Dad, this has been a great soccer game that we were at. Thanks for watching me for the last six hours. (laughs) People say, Dad, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it, it's also like, that's real. Yeah, true, true. And again, who, what, where is important. Sure. I think um, the annoyance sort of puts on the table that we can take our time with it uh-huh. and, and really you know, give that information one card at a time to the audience and enjoy powerfully holding on to it. Yeah. Because the thing I want to say is, if you start a scene in absolute silence you know, and you wait 20 seconds, you can also have a huge deal in silence. True. It's not limbo time if you're filling it with emotion and how you feel interesting so words are i mean words are words right you yeah, can speak like... so much without them uh and i i sometimes see that a lot especially in the especially in a lot of indie shows i've seen recently where it's just a lot of talking heads with these smart smart improvisers who just whip information and jokes and like context and just stand there basically and don't really communicate too much with their bodies well they can do that and that's amazing it is amazing for me it puts me in a state of constantly having to be cleverer and there's only so much cleverer that i can do there's (laughs) like i don't know how to continually heighten being clever Mm -hmm. eventually Uh. that's me you know really worrying about how funny i can be versus i've come on stage with this emotion Mm mm-hmm I'm going to follow that to the ends of the earth. I don't know if I'm going to be funny. I'm just going to follow that how I feel. Wow. Very, very cool. Yeah, and then going on the silence for 20 seconds as far as meaning a lot. Yeah. Going back to what Brad was saying about the words, I would say, like, uh, words are only one tool you can use to express yourself on stage, obviously. It's, uh, I mean, I don't, I would say uh, 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 body shape, a lot about how, you know, how, how, how. How are you standing? How are you sounding? How are you silent? You know, um, what uh, what is what's the tone you're using if you eventually do speak, or what's the how are you breathing? You know, all that stuff is to be read. Like, there's nothing you can hide. Everything is to be read off off you and how you communicate. You yes. Know? So, and I feel it's also tools that get used better as improvisers move on and on and on and get better at communicating on stage, which goes back to the who, what, where being like sort of a starter tool or training wheels when when you can effectively become a real person on stage or like uh, just a more interesting person to look at also more more genuine the who what where is just kind of unimportant or it isn't it isn't unimportant it becomes less of a tool you need mm-hmm. uh, i think i think if you're still struggling to be honest and genuine on stage the who what where can almost serve as almost like a crutch or training wheels or give you guys something more to play with where um, I think if you can really be people on stage, like you said, you can use it if you want it. If you don't want it, don't worry about it. If you don't need it, don't worry about it. There are great scenes that don't have a clearly defined who or what or where. Right. They can not have one of those elements and be a great scene. Um, 
and and what you said about how and the way you do something that's sort of the whole thing behind mixed book is the way you do something at the top of a scene is more important than what you say there's an exercise that we do in uh, AP2 which is a class of the annoyance where I give all the first lines of the scene and the people walking on stage have no idea what their first line is but I ask them to come on with an emotional state and then I usually give them a line that has makes no sense with what they're showing me and you'd be surprised at how people can justify it immediately and put it into their emotion. And it doesn't matter what you say at the top of the scene. So we, we like to take the weight off that. You can say anything. What's more important is that you have a strong feeling that you can follow for the rest of the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you say that was less? I mean, I don't, I don't want to dive too much in this, but because you took classes at I.O. and Second City, right? Mm-hmm. Would you say that they, they had a less of a stress of how? Well, I.O., my, my first thing that I went through at I was with IO and they actually did I had a wonderful experience there especially in the beginning levels before we started uh, dealing with form right um where it was all about relationships and uh connecting to your partner eye contact um building uh, a scene line by line right. listening um it was much more focused on helping the other person but all these right. things about emotion that we're talking about were part of that what happened with me at I.O. is when I had to um, learn the Herald, yeah. and then God forbid we started making up, we learned every opening there was, and we had to make up our own forms in 5B, I got really, really good at making uh, uh, wind sounds in a, in a group game, you know, right. Right. And, and making right. moves, cool, you know, I'm putting in quotes right now, cool moves. I got yeah. really good at that, and I got really good at sitting on the sidelines and thinking of the perfect second beat move that would be three-dimensional and analogous and, you know, fuck me. Cool. And then I was terrified to do a goddamn scene. Right. <laughs> right. I wanted to do everything but actually scenic improv. Right. And when I, when I got to the annoyance, it was like, oh, wait, this is what I actually got into from the beginning. This is what I wanted was a scene. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and it, it saved me. That's wow. why I'm so uh, the annoyance was such a home for me, as it got me back into loving to do scenes and actually acting. Because it sounds like what you're doing when you're being kind of a cherry. I, I don't. I guess I could call it cherry picking from the sidelines, being like, "Oh yeah, I'm like watching it, and then I'm gonna twist it, or I'm gonna edit it, or I'm gonna throw in the funny sound effect, or whatever," which is difficult to do. But it's also being very clever. Mm-hmm. And then when coming to the annoyance, I, I know you have an acting background, right? Yeah, I went to uh, Northwestern for acting. Awesome, so that was my thing. Awesome. So, uh, would you say that the annoyance is a little bit more actor centric? Yeah, it actually really reminds me of Meisner in that, like, a lot of it's just like one thing at a time and um, repeating what the person just said through how you are feeling. Right. Like, it's it's remarkably like a Meisner approach to me. There's a lot mm. of similarities. That's just my opinion. Yeah, talking, listening. There's, um, I don't know if you know Kevin Mullaney. He was uh, no he was of him, sh- yes. Yeah, he was uh, um, he runs his own theater in Chicago now. But he took class at Annoyance and from I O, and he was at UCB. He ran UCB for a while, but he teaches um, a Meisner improv class where it's just like because I've taken it where you don't have a script, but essentially it's just talking and listening exercises. You just improv. Mm-hmm. So if you say your one thing, you go back and forth. Now I know talking and listening is only scratching the surface of Meisner, but I think it's like a good sort of summary of kind of what it's a little bit of about of just really listening and responding into the moment. I think it totally transcends into a good improv. Moment to moment. Yeah. And yeah. not knowing what's next. And Mick uh, Napier says the art of improv, the quote-unquote art of it, is being okay with being on stage, having no idea what's coming next, being okay with that. And part of being okay with it means not thinking about it, not worrying about it, staying in the moment and trusting that moment to moment we can build a scene and it will be great and we'll be okay and the audience is okay. Yeah. Yeah, I like the the brick by brick is great. I remember you mentioned that to me in class and that was really eye-opening for me because um, I used to imagine um, like uh, – because well, before before the annoyance came to town and read the book and I'd study with like what people that came in and, and things like that and listen on podcasts, I, the phrase I heard is always I'm going to promise you with my strength essentially in our scene work something along those lines like I owe you the fact that I've got my shit together over here and you owe that back to me is that like a correct way of saying I love that yeah, yeah. and then to me I always meant uh, uh, that that always meant to me kind of like you said starting with the cathedral starting with a lot it was always very struggling for me like starting with something big two people starting with something big at the same time it was hard for me to connect somehow in the middle or make things work it was very hard for me so I mean I did that and I was very struggling you mentioned like oh you're bringing too much you guys got to build it brick by brick and I'm like oh, oh okay yeah I can do that <laughs> you yeah it's just listening and responding that that I could do you know and that was really eye-opening for me so it's it's 
definitely changed the way. Yeah, definitely changed the way to think about that. Yeah, and the, and the cathedral is context. The cathedral yeah. isn't how or way or emotion um, to what you're doing. It's it's details. Um, it's who, what, where. It's all that at once. That's right. a cathedral. Um, you coming on as a pillar of um, emotional fortitude, and I know exactly how you feel because you're showing me right. through your body and your your eyes and and what you're saying and how you're saying it. That's just a really fucking great brick. That's a pillar I can I can deal right. with. I love yeah. that brick. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a detailed fucking brick. <laughs> right. And <laughs> then and then the cathedral can be built together with yeah, the details can come over time when needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I have a quick question. Uh, so you you have your thing that you're feeling, right? And you're going to go after that feeling. Let's just say it is excitement mm-hmm. and you're super excited. Uh, what happens if you realize halfway through the scene that you're actually not that excited and then feelings of worry start flooding in and feelings of fear start flooding in? You're like, oh, I should fucking ditch this. I can't get any more excited. I'm not actually excited. Well, it is okay, for, I think, for your character to evolve over time okay. organically. Interesting. But you have to earn that. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, an audience can always tell. If you are changing something on stage and the audience goes, huh? And they sort of sit back and cross their arms, you've lost them. Right. You promised them something and you changed your mind because the improviser behind you, behind the character, the improviser got worried. Mm-hmm. Whereas if in the listening moment to moment your character evolves and underneath that excitement was just a, a bubbling child about to cry inside the character underneath it all along. Sure, yeah. And you uncover that, then the audience sits up and they're like, oh my gosh, that was there the whole time? Right. And they get so excited. Uh, and you can feel that it works because they sit up. And they look at you more, and they, they gasp. And, and that, you know, we ask, what, where does laughter come from? It comes from believability and surprise. I believe you are the person you told me you're going to be, and, oh, my gosh, I never saw that coming. Hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it was really cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Really I, love cool, that I love that la- laughter <laughs> equa- uh, equation. It's cool. I used to, because it's almost like stand up. To me, I see stand up as like, uh, okay, everything's regular, explaining things that are regular, and boom, you twist it. Mm-hmm. Twisting's the punch. Twisting's what's funny about the setup of a joke. Mm-hmm. And there's no two ways around like joke structure. All we do is we rip it apart and we just take our time with certain parts of it, you know, and we maybe mesh it in, we turn it into a bigger soup, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, it's not just set up punch, set up punch, but essentially, it's the same thing. You believe what's going on, we're agreed on what the circumstances are, and then twist, you know, mm-hmm. or you surprise them. And that's, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, I love oh. soup. <laughs> Got some sweet soup. Yeah, uh, I was stuck in a Herald today. I was not into <laughs> Hopefully, the people in Herald with me aren't listening to this. Chance of they're not. Probably not. Probably we not. have a very low listener base. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, guy, you know, how about this? Here's a question. I was caught in what I call quicksand. Uh huh. Uh, we're in the third. Uh, well, uh, quicksand. The is more one. you struggle, the worse it gets. Is the that more one? you push, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Okay. And the more you try to save, it just goes in the wrong direction, wrong direction, wrong direction. Okay. So we're in the third beats. This is of a herald, and then everyone's tagging in, and it's nothing's working. Nothing's. It's like it's like they're trying. It's like a tag run of stuff that didn't make sense in the first place, and everything is. I didn't. I don't know what's going on. All the tags are so confusing to me. And and every time they tag it, it feels like it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I've, I've been in circumstances like that, right? Yeah. I, in my head, I call it quicksand, which I think is like a football term, sports term. But I like it. It makes me have been there. It's also a safari term. What? I don't know what that is. Quick, actual quicksand? What is, is that a thing? Yeah. It's a safari term. It's, you're uh, it's you're like... lying to me making it all up. Okay, maybe it's just a cartoon thing. <laughs> no, I'm just being an asshole to you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, how do you? How would you break free of that? Or um, going back to kind of what you were saying, like what? What are you? What are you? What are, you, what are your feelings on that? Well, I think the Herald is um, a form that has a lot of weight on it. it um, yeah. I think the Herald's an amazing, amazing learning tool for building, um, holding onto your shit over time. Um, remembering what you've done on stage um, as a performance tool, it's got a lot on it. In that, if like your first scene sucks and you have to come back to that in some right. way, no one wants you to. Right. Like, you don't want to do it. The audience <laughs> doesn't necessarily want to see it. That's yeah. the truth. And it's a losing game, right. and uh, but you have to because that's what the form you know usually demands, unless you're looser in it. And uh, that puts pressure on the improviser, which again is that weight that I'm talking about. Right. I'm taking the weight off your shoulders. Right. So if you're in a herald, we do heralds. We are required to, on the sidelines, be analyzing the herald and taking care of the herald. Um, if I'm feeling fucked in my brain, I will usually just go out there and say, it doesn't matter anything I'm worrying about. I'm just going to make a 
pure, organic, whatever I feel move, knowing that my brain has agonized over this thing for the last, God, 20 minutes. And I have all those thoughts in my head, and they're not helping me, but maybe in the back of my brain, what I do will connect with it. So essentially, I cut the chains. And I don't, I don't give a fuck. At that point, like, yeah. if I'm in my head, I'd rather do something free, you know, live free for one minute than right. to, to, to go down in chains to this thing that I think is so important. And that freedom can jumpstart a lot of new connections. Um, it will certainly maybe surprise the people you're with because they'll be trying to connect. Like, well, wh- how does that fit into the Herald? But hopefully they'll get on board as far as like, oh, that's, that's just energy. Okay. And we'll go there. And then hopefully in the back of our heads, it'll all tie back around magically because uh, the back of our brains are so smart and they're always making <laughs> connections. And you know what? Even if they don't, someone in the audience will probably come up to you after the show and say, oh, yeah, that thing you did at the very end, that made sense with the first scene because – and they'll draw a connection that like, you would never in a million years think of because the audience is storytelling as they watch you yeah. and makes connections that you don't even know. Yeah, that's yeah, And you just true. take it as your own. It's funny you mentioned that. I was, I was telling Brad, I was so close to being like we see a pandora box open and all of us fall out of this pandora box why and not i wanted to turn our entire team into a bunch of floating heads not knowing what was going on because <laughs> i didn't know what was going on so i wanted to give that i wanted to heighten that and give it to everyone and i'm so i'm so pissed off i didn't do that well yeah i mean I basically just so you're, in my just, head about you're just having fun like yeah. at the point when people are thinking the most is the point when you should really just be having fun right like is uh, your thinking helping you it, is it is it serving you like or is it just fucking you sideways? Because you're just the one on stage with your hands in your pockets and your face down. You're like, oh fuck, oh fuck, I need the perfect <laughs> funny thing to say, and then yeah. it doesn't come because you're you're so in your head. And I have to say this because New York is so much um, more so I feel than Chicago in love with form, right? And the idea of like completing a form that's typical in a in a successful way. And I get that, especially for like improv. You know, uh, academia, it's exciting to see a form pulled off well. Doing the boat for Second City taught me, you know, doing 15 shows a week for Southern Christian Florida, (laughs) you know, who who thought I was doing stand up. They didn't understand what it even was. It also taught me a respect for, like, that's my paying audience, and they don't give a fuck what a LaRonde is. Yeah, they yeah, care yeah, yeah. that I'm true. funny. Right. And, and that, then I'm having fun on stage, and me having fun usually means it's kind of funny. Um, that, that is more important to me, that the show's funny and engaging. They want to get surprised after they've agreed with you. Yeah. Essentially. And so who no are you performing for? If it's a box of props or whatever it is. I don't know. Sure. Second stage does short form on the boats, right? Isn't that what you yeah, mentioned? Yeah, and that was the other thing. Was we were playing like, you know, sex with me. is like a blank, blank, blank. I hated it. But it taught me that like, it taught me that like, this is my audience and they're valid and I'm being paid right now to please them and to give them a good show that's professional and funny. Totally. And... And who are who am I performing for? Is it yeah. for the public or is it for my friends? In a way, exactly. Isn't that more rewarding, the fact that you're performing exclusively for strangers as opposed to a community I of loved other improvisers, it. right? First of all, it made yeah. me a lot fucking better because your yeah. friends will laugh or whatever or tell you you were great. If someone doesn't know you, watches you, they're like a kid. Like They don't give a fuck. Right. If you're bad, they are not going to laugh <laughs> or give you any sort of time of day. So it, it was an incredible training ground for me. That's amazing. Yeah, I hear stories of people who do Boom Chicago in Amsterdam, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like a three-year contract. And, and they perform also 12 shows a week, maybe even more. And it's all they do. And they're only performing for drunk businessmen regularly or, or whatever it is. And that just, got to, that just has to make you such a super crisp, comedically on-point performer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And for a lot of people that like are Dutch and are sort of translating what you're doing through it. Right. I played a boom show. I just sat in with them right. in Amsterdam. And oh, no way. Yeah, it was it was a really fun experience. <laughs> um, but I was like, I was watching it. I was like, these people are not listening to their first language here. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, so I actually thought I was like, I should try and be physical because like physical, you yeah. cannot understand what I'm doing. And if I just have fun physicality, well, that says yeah. something. Yeah. Especially in Holland. <laughs> that is a thing to me foreign because because comedy is a, a domestic thing not, not no not domestic comedy does change country to country oh yeah it's not a universal language when we came we started our our second city cruise in barcelona of transatlantic to florida and oh, wow. it was the worst 
um, shows I've ever done. It was a Spanish-speaking audience who right. didn't give a shit what the second what our sketch comedy was. They didn't understand it, and I was like, "Oh my god, is the next four months going to be like this?" And then I switched to my Southern Christian white racist, and I was oh. very grateful that they at least laughed at some of the things. Oh, sweet, nice. sweet. Yeah, senses of humor are different. <laughs> I think, like, uh, you know, I've yeah, I've, I've traveled growing up and uh, and and seeing different comedy shows in different places. It's just a totally different game. Yeah, and that'll only make you better. I remember my short form team in college. We thought we were, you know, we were in college and we were on a short form team. So obviously, we thought we were awesome and hot shit. And then we got booked to do a show at a sorority. <laughs> like all of our references, throw them out the window. We can't use them. Like, it was such a bomb fest. It was such a bomb range. We have a suggestion of anything at all. Revlon number five. Oh, <laughs> see, they are now being really kind of. I'm kind of sending all day. That's okay. That's uh, my favorite situation, though, is when you have to go to your imagination. Like, I don't know a goddamn thing about sports. Right, right. And I remember I was in a class with Susan Messing, and I was like, I don't like to be bros, Susan. I don't like to be the sports thing because I don't know anything about it, and I can't right. do it well. And she said, fuck trying to do sports right. Do the bro character, the sports character, with your brain, Philip, and that will be unique. So now... I love when people make me sportscasters. I've invented teams that don't exist, like the Philadelphia Bees, who are just killing the field, touchdown, you know, home run. And I just, I will just go nuts with my imagination and right. making up sports figures. I have no interest in actually talking about real sports people. I mean, right. The Philadelphia Bees beat the Minnesota Badgers. Interesting. Over the weekend. So that seems like so your through line is your enthusiasm about sports, and then you use the nouns to serve you. You can make up nouns as long as they serve you, right? Yeah. And I'm having, I'm doing it joyfully. The audience is paying attention to the joyful state of my imagination, and again, tapping into a childlike part of the psyche. You're, when you were a kid, if someone handed you, you know, a dinosaur toy, you might make that dinosaur into a spaceship. Boom. You can, you can do anything. That's true. I've done that. You know your spaceship dinosaur. <laughs> now my mom has a specific story of me taking my sister's Barbies and making a gun out of them. I'm sure there's not like a gun. So there's an example of that. Similar. Uh, <laughs> Barbie gun. Yeah, Barbie gun. I want to see that as a musical. <laughs> Barbie gun. Legs are bullets. Barbie gun. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Also, making f- shit up is just fun, right? Yeah. I talk about the Philadelphia Bees because also half the audience doesn't know anything about sports either. At least, no. you know, it's not going to be. And then, and just yeah, like I, I always love pretending to know about stuff that I don't know. Yeah. I always I love it. That's that classic short form game expert where you right. just tell the audience you're an expert on whatever subject and you just make up shit to whatever they ask you. Right, right. Now it's interesting they do short form on the they don't do it in Chicago, do they? The second city do short form? Um they occasionally throw short form into their improv sets, but um that's sort of up to the cast and the director. Um it is sort of funny, but you know, where else are you gonna learn how to a host a show? Um, do short form games successfully. That those cruise ships are amazing for teaching you to do those two things. Comedy sports is great at that. If you right. take comedy sports class, boom, Chicago teaches you those skills. Ironically, going through Second City I O and the Annoyance, you won't learn how to host, right? And you won't learn how to play, you know, a wide range of short form games. It's something that you have to like have an outside experience to get. Totally. Mick did this blog post about like what you need to get on the Second City main stage. And, oh, I read that. That was great. Yeah, it's a 17-pager. you got to really sit down with it. <laughs> but uh, it's about training everywhere. And we really feel that with the annoyance out here, we're telling people to go everywhere and that everywhere that you learn is valid and valuable to your improv journey and what you're going to make up is the way you improvise on stage. And we're happy to be part of that, but we are by no means the be-all, end-all. It's just one way. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, comedy sports is always trying to. They're here in New York and they're trying to push their classes. I'm on their email right. list. Oh, really? Oh, I'm getting them. I think um, I don't know if I'm on their email list, but I know I check their posts. I know I know the guy over there. He's uh, he also does stuff. Drew, elsewhere. Drew, Drew, yeah. Tarvin, right? Yeah, yeah. He's also I've seen him do a lot of stuff over the magnet too. I think he's on a house team there. God bless. But yeah, it's just yeah. I've I've done short form before, but I've always toyed with the idea of of taking short form classes and start doing that again. And I've definitely seen that. Like uh, I've read posts about. Like, are there classes where we can learn how to, like, host and organize a show and things like that? I'm like, you're right. No, we don't have those classes. We just know how to perform. Christian Capazzoli, who's teaching the Level 1 Annoyance class right now, mm. we, I was so excited that he brought that into the curriculum one day because um, it wasn't so much emphasized before that. He spent a whole day where they had introduced themselves on stage, uh, an exercise where they had to uh, walk on stage and tell the audience how to do something not related to improv. Like, I'm going to you, tell you how to make a sandwich. And it was just so exciting to see people um, – play this version of themselves which is the host 
which is you that's polished, but it's also loose. It's willing to respond to the moment. It's not trying too hard. It's a really hard thing to learn how to do. Yeah. There's actually a little bit of that in the new UCB book that came out. They've got cool. like a whole chapter on how to take a suggestion, how you should be dressed, and, and, and things like that, and how it really affects the difference between your relationship and the audience. Well, that was huge for me when I came out here is that um, the first show I saw, people were wearing shorts and flip-flops. And yeah, I, had, I hate that. It was, it was mind-blowing. It was like, what are you doing? You should look better than your audience. Yeah. If I am ever dressed like that, it usually just means it's a student show or I don't care or something. If it's a good show, then I dress for it. Usually, so just for everyone it out there, improvise with me. Oh, huh. It was just—it was just funny that the dress code was like so lax. I don't know. <laughs> They're just trying to play it casual, just like yeah, yeah, I just fucking walked off the street. Fuck, I just—I'm always improvising. Yeah, oh. and it, it's different. You know, the annoying show at 11 p.m. You know, or midnight. Like you can wear whatever you want, but yeah. uh, Mick does talk about in his book about dressing better than the audience, and it, it sends a message of like this is important, and we're gonna. Uh, deliver you a professional show. Yeah, I'm more totally. surprised that you said they're wearing sandals. In New York City, that's so gross. Oh, Brad, the fashionista. Flops? Jesus. No, it's just disgusting. Like, your bare foot <laughs> is like half an inch away from the most horrid thing you could ever step on. <laughs> that's so gross to me. Unless it's a beach-themed show. I don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> Stefan's opinion. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Cool. So on that note, is it time to yeah. improvise? Yay! Yes. So we talked about this a little bit beforehand. We're going to try to do Screw Puppies format-ish in an yes. audio way. So could you give a quick, yeah, break it down? Yeah, so Screw Puppies was an improv form that was developed at The Annoyance. The idea being that um, The Annoyance, they just want you to play on stage to the point where we don't even uh, edit our scenes. Someone on lights blacks out every scene. It's a blackout improv show. And uh, that way you can just go on stage and play. So I think we're going to black out via the mic somehow. Verbally. Maybe we'll just say blackout. Blackout. And then that'll be the next scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for those uh, of you at home, just close your eyes when we say blackout. Yeah, we do blackout. Literally close your eyes <laughs> at whatever you're looking at while you're multitasking and listening to this podcast. <laughs> and, and, and to avoid us blacking out our own scenes, which is just editing, I guess the way we'll do is we'll do two-person scenes. Whoever's not in it is in charge of the blackout. Right. Cool. Right. And then you also mentioned that the first few scenes are real quick, and then after that it just opens up. Yeah, we do the first uh, few few scenes. We uh, sort of play off the suggestion. We fuck with it. We do anything we want with it. They're quick to build up the energy and to take off the pressure at the top of a show where yeah. it's like, oh, God, my first beat better be great. Yeah, this is the just rust like, in the pipes. Fuck around. Let's you know, just it. fuck around in the first couple scenes, and we'll, we'll slow down eventually. Badass. Very cool. On that, I've got a Suggestifier app here on my phone. Oh, It gives me suggestions. Fun. I just tap it. It gives me words. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take our last one. I like this new one. Our suggestion is Bone. B-O-N-E, which is the last one. Bone. Yeah. Bone. Cynthia, you. you're going to have to get your bone removed. Daddy, I want to play football. It's too bad. Blackout. Uh, I hope I, my pants are just really tight. Yeah, I can see what you're packing. Blackout. Today, children, we're going to be focusing on your bones huh, on the body. Oh man, Bill Cosby is my teacher. What gobble gobble devil diggle Blackout. Uh, hey. Hey. Oh man, is that is it? I heard it's not called a brontosaurus anymore. It's called like a patasaurus. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's called a patasaurus. Yeah, is, yeah. is a patasaurus the same as a brachiosaurus? It's all related, man. We all came from the pterodactyl bird <laughs> shit, man. Whoa. Yeah. All came from the pterodactyl. I didn't know we were descendants of pterodactyls. I yeah, we man. Buck out. Uh, <laughs> uh, people call me Bonesaw. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I carry around a bone saw. Yeah, I tell you what, bone saw. You better take out your cell phone and call your parents right now because this is your last opportunity to do so before we go into Canada and fight. Uh, I haven't spoken to my father in years. Scene. <laughs> do you have a bone to pick with me, Marsha? Yeah, I do. Um, In the fridge, it says Marsha's salad. And I noticed there were a couple bites missing, Mark. Are you going to really pick a battle over a couple bites, Marsha? This is not a battle, because I've noticed every Thursday, when you don't have a lunch, a little bit of my salad is missing. Every Thursday? Do you have a log about it, Marsha? Have you been keeping notes on me, Marsha? Ever since I've been off my medication, I've been taking extensive notes. Well, you just told me exactly what I needed to hear. Oh, yeah? You lunatic. Oh, yeah? I'm not the one that's crazy in this relationship. You're the crazy one, Marsha. You turned into a ghost. <laughs> Marsha. Oh my god. What are you doing? Oh. Oh. 
I will haunt you for the rest of your life. Blackout. Uh, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't, Stop I, it. I, I just, I don't, I'm worried about. Stop it. I, I can't, I'm just worried about. Stop. I'm worried if I go, I'm worried about if I like, it's just, there's so much Herschel, pain. stop it. There's just so much pain though. I'm worried about like, if I ever go to the doctor, like the, they'll find, you know, I'm just worried about they'll find something uh, that's wrong with me. You know, it's just, it hurts. And I don't want to go to the doctor because I don't want anything to be wrong with me. Herschel, stop it right uh, now. I just, I'm worried that if I go to the doctor, they'll find something wrong with You're me. You're fine. And I don't have health insurance. So you like, are fine. Obamacare doesn't, the Obamacare never kicked in for me. I can't afford it. You tripped and smashed your head a little but, bit against the door frame. You're fine, I'm worried, Herschel. though. I'm worried about it. I'm worried, though, just, if I go to the... I'm worried about it. Just keep applying pressure, Herschel. I'm, apply, I'm worried that if I apply pressure, it'll keep hurting. It's not a big deal. I'm worried. I'm worried about it. Like I'm worried if I go to the doctor that it'll like he'll find something wrong with my head, and I can't pay for head surgery. I can't afford it. No, you can't afford it, Herschel. So why are you even talking about it? Just stop I'm it. Just worried. I'm worried about it. So Blackout. And You're so sexy. <laughs> You're so sexy. Yeah? Yeah. I was, I was trying to be sexy tonight. You really succeeded. I put a lot of effort into being sexy tonight. You look so fucking hot. No, oh, thanks. I went to a thrift store today. Yeah. And I bought nothing but leather. Yeah. You look like a goddamn leather leopard. Yeah, a leather. That's what I was going for with the patterns. Yeah, the leather leathered bots. Huh? Hey, guys. Uh, Sickfield, Royd, uh, five minutes. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. I hope you... Uh, have a good show. Yeah, I hope the tiger doesn't maul me again today. You look like a leopard. He might be turned on to Oh, me. do tigers and leopards mate? Yes. Tigers and leopards are like six feet and Roy. Yeah, yeah. tempered. <sighs> it's like a baby of a tiger and a leopard. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know what else I did? Uh, Keep talking. I also wore a, my undershirt. Here, Keep let me talking. take a look at this undershirt. Oh look, my God. it says leopard on it. And it's covered with kittens. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. I love it so much because I can just pet my undershirt. Oh, my God. And it's one of those scratch and sniff shirts. Yeah. I can smell the leopard as you scratch it. I scratch it. It smells like a kitten. Oh, my God. Do you want to scratch my undershirt? Oh, don't tempt me. I have to go to hell on stage. Yeah. Oh, God. Hey, I just want to say I've loved the fact that we've performed together for 30 years. 30 years and it's still. So hot as the first night. Blackout. Yeah. <laughs> you guys just won't understand. You just don't understand. Not everything's about you dying, Billy. I died, okay? Everyone died. We're in heaven. You guys don't understand how it went down. We saw everything. It's in the Journal of Heaven. Look, you're on the video. Yeah, but it was... The timing was the worst. Oh. You guys wouldn't get it. Roll the dice. Start your life over. You can't have it both ways. I will not roll those magical dice. I'm not ready to go back yet. Then stop whining, Billy, and start living in heaven. I'm not whining. You just don't get it. I was 13, okay? I had a lot of feelings I didn't know how to deal with. I'm Mahatma Gandhi. I get suffering. You don't get it, Mahat. Oh, my God, Billy. I was in a band. Billy. We just about to go big. Your band was a garage band acid piece of shit. Yeah, we did a lot of acid. You had nothing to live for, and now you're in a better place. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know that. I had a, I had a girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, Siegfried Roy, you're on, you guys are on in five minutes. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, five. I can't believe we have to wait till they get to heaven to do their show. We're filling in. <laughs> Black. <laughs> uh, Enab. Enab, your yeah. mother is upset at you. What? Enab. No. Come Enab, on. come out. Come on. Enab. Come on. Now, Enab. Enab, what is this I see here on this test? It's a bag of marijuana. It's a bag of marijuana. No big deal. You taped a bag of marijuana to this test and you gave it to me. Well, come on, teach. I don't care. I do not care that you had an A-plus on this test. It's covered in marijuana. Well, I figured you could use a little bit. Enab, are you a Stratford boy? You're not a Stratford boy. I grew up in Westminster. Yeah, well, this is Stratford Academy, Enab. You're a Stratford boy. Is that clear? Okay. You do not tape bags of marijuana yeah, to your exams you and hand it to your faculty. Well, you need to chill the fuck down. You do not. You do not say the F word at me, Enoch. I'm just going to gonna light up this joint right now. Enoch, that is a gets pro. Give me that, Enoch. Give me that joint. Oh, I'll pass it to you as long as you're not going to bogart it, Mr. I'm going to throw it away, Enoch. I'm going to throw it right away. Right. You have a promising future, Enoch. Promising. Okay. You're 18. However, it's been calling no, about tell you. Tell me what those promises is because I'm waiting for the answer to kick in. Blackout. <laughs>
Uh, Speak by. Uh, All right. See you later. Uh, God, man. You guy stole my horse. He stole my horse. If I don't. You got to be quicker on the draw, Dave. Or else he's going to take my horse again? People are always taking because you can't get two words out. I only have three horses left. If I go home without any horses, my mom's going to whip me again. You got to be quicker, Bill. All right. I don't. I just want to keep my horses. I just want to go home with these three horses. I'm so bored listening to you right now. Hey, what's up? What's up, Jake? Hey, what's Uh, what's up? Here's Uh, another example. Hey, what's going on? Oh, what a beautiful horse you got here. You better say something real quick. Uh, uh, See you later, guys. Oh, fuck. That's two horses. You have two horses left. You have to speak faster. That was shadow facts. I know what they want me to say. I have nothing to say. You can say I have nothing to say. Anything. You have something to say. You're a fucking man. I have no opinions on any politics. I don't watch current events. I am fine with anyone, whoever they want to be, the way they want to be. I've got nothing to say. Do you want to keep your horses or not? I definitely want to keep my horses, but I don't want to... speak and learn about the world. (laughs) I know a lot about the world. You know nothing. (laughs) Tell me something about the world right now. Uh, Oceans. There's Uh, oceans. They're everywhere. Name an ocean. Uh, India. No, it's the Indian Ocean. It's an adjective. Uh, A noun that's like an adjective. Wow. I know nouns. I know adjectives. I know oceans. I know lakes. I know rivers. I know, I know statistics. I'm about to walk away. No. What are you going to say to me? Uh, That's right. I thought you had nothing. Why do I have to speak, though? Goodbye, and I'm taking this last No, horse. I have Goodbye. one left, though, after you take it. Yeah, well, I'm shooting it. No! Boom. No! No! <laughs> Siegfried! No! You shot Siegfried right in the head. Yep. Good Blackout. thing he's still. <laughs> Great. We'll call it scene. Sweet, sweet. Cool, cool. <laughs> uh, that was fun. That was fun. Very fun. Uh, so how was that? <laughs> it was good. Was that kind of screw puppy style? We're getting in there a little bit. Yeah, the feeling that you can do anything, and yeah. you know, at the start of a scene, go oh anywhere. It doesn't matter. We can have... And what's so funny to me is like we don't do we don't talk about like long form so much of the annoyance, and yet um, there's a screw puppies esque show out here. It's the same form called Chica Go Go every right, first right. Friday at the Pit. At Great show. Eleven. Really Thank you. Show. Uh, it's Jody Lennon's show and Joe Bill's show, and it's wonderful. I get to play in it. And what's funny is there's more long-form callbacks in that show than almost any Herald I've ever seen. We just do it because of the joy of it, and yet we're not required to. So the Sigfield and Roy thing that kept running through there was really fun. I mean, in a way, that's how I'm programmed, so I'm glad that that's fine. You know, I'm glad that that's a thing that happens, because I can't help but... Part of me is like, should I just make this totally new, or should I... I can't help but remember what we've already done, But you're you're remembering it in a joyful way of like, oh, I could do this, instead of being like, second beat of Sigfield and Roy, how can we be clever, analogous, etc., like... It's 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 weight. It's not weighted. It's just like oh, and, and Sigfield and Roy. It's right. joyous long form. It's calling it back because we choose to versus we have to. Yeah, totally. That's yeah, my it really feeling. Is. It is the, the the emotion rather than the logic. Like with a Herald, I know logically with the third beats, I have to start finding connections. But for the screw puppies, it did not give a fuck if we found connections at all. Actually, yeah, it was it was just totally optional and totally up to your whim and joy. Um, no, I enjoyed that. Um, there were times I even felt like um, myself, like, oh, like what I often do, I find, is I repeat my deal at the top of a scene. Right. Like how I kept saying, like, Marsha or Marcy or whatever Right, you kept like, you're so sexy. You're, or like, like, I just keep following it. And it, I find that by repeating and heightening myself in those moments, I ground myself in who I am. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not me being crazy. It's me really knowing and confirming I am this person so I don't waver. And I nice. find myself doing that, but I'm totally okay with it. And like, I can. That's a way of just heightening myself by rephrasing the first thing I said until we find something new. Yeah, I yeah. Don't know. It's like turning on a car and giving it a minute to to let the engine run for a few minutes before you actually hit the gas. Yeah, or the car is. I mean, like it's still in park, but I'm revving it. I'm right, revving it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, warming up the engine before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I also had a car metaphor ready. Yeah, what it was, was it? like uh, what when was you it? like spin the tires at the start line, and then it's like. And then you like take off going, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spin the tires. The we all had line. car metaphors. Very cool. <laughs> we like cars. We win. Yeah. <laughs> the three of us don't own a car, probably, right? No. I I had a Prius in Chicago. God bless it. I oh, sold really? it the last day before I left Chicago. Nice. It was down to the fucking wire. Yeah. I was like, I have to get rid of this car. Nice. I'm not taking it to New York. 
That's also move budget money, right? Yeah, yeah. Although I lost so much money on that car. Like, don't buy a car, you guys. They're the worst fucking investment. Yeah. Really? Yes. I sold mine before. I, I sold mine. Yeah. A new, you mean a new car? I if bought you a used a new, car oh, and I lost 10 G's on it in terms of its value over the course of a year. Like, oh, according yeah. to the blue book. It was <laughs> insane. Ooh, that's a Prius, man. That's a nice car. You'd think. No, it's, 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 cars are bad investments. Don't invest in cars. There you go. Yeah. I had a car, a Ford Taurus. I didn't bring it with me. I actually didn't sell it before I moved. I didn't, I, my dad ended up selling it three months after I moved here. I it thought took forever s- to sell it. I thought you were going to say you just left it on Sorry. like the streets of Jersey or something. <laughs> it's on the streets of Jersey. Uh, maybe I'll run into it again. And I still have the keys, so hopefully it keeps running, you know. I had a Beamer that died right after I got my first Second City, um, like the callback that got me the boat. Cool. And I left my my uh, audition feeling so high in the world, and I started this old, old, <laughs> old Beamer, and the engine like blew up in flames in front of me oh, to the no. point where a guy jogged into it and was going to sue me because I like poisoned him with car flames. Whoa. I was like, Did you see flames? Uh, yeah, like literally like Whoa. a moment of like very intense smoke. <laughs> and um, Wow, that's so symbolic, you know? I know. It's like, I got it, I got it, and my car's dead. Then I sold it to an 85-year-old man who wanted the parts. Cool. And he, nice. he towed it off. And he, he insisted on taking the license plates. Um, this is all going to be an improv metaphor, I'm sure. <laughs> and he took the license plates, and and I said, "Yeah, sure. You're an old man. Like, just take it. We'll figure it out later." <laughs> that three months later, I'm getting all these parking tickets sent to me, uh-huh. and like, why the fuck? What? This is my old Beamer. Bernard, the old man, had died. <sighs> With oh, my car no. before he ever changed the plates, and it was sitting on Fullerton Avenue in Chicago and just accumulating ticket after ticket. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? I was like, I don't even own this car anymore. And I was finally like, I drove to where the tickets were, like I, it had an address oh. on it, and I found it there with eight parking tickets. Oh no. And I had, I brought a screwdriver to take the plates off because those were my plates. And it was the wrong fucking screwdriver. Oh. So I grabbed a rock on the side of Fullerton Avenue. I just started bashing, nice. <laughs> bashing the plates off. Like, I could have been arrested. Like, I'm bashing plates <laughs> off a car. I take them in my glory. And I went away. And I had to pay every one of those fucking tickets despite contesting oh, it because no. it was in my name. But there's a metaphor here that, like, if you're stranded on the side of a road. Grab a rock. Grab a rock and bash those plates <laughs> off. <and> never <laughs> give up. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea of, uh, of you, you find him exactly where you sold it to him. He died like after you left a couple minutes later in the car. No, that's <laughs> so macabre. <laughs> he's, like, he's like died with the keys in the thing. He's just like on the steering wheel. He just never made his way out. <laughs> well, I found out he died because I kept calling his phone and went to voicemail. And finally, I like went to the address from the bill of sale. And somebody was like, I'm so sorry, Bernard has died. Yeah. It was like weekend at Bernie's. I was like, where the fuck is my car? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Ah, uh, that's oh, man. that's crazy, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure there's a deeper metaphor to be yeah, drawn there, there but I'm not doing it. Learned, yeah, there definitely is. Don't yeah. leave the plates on the car there when you, you sell it. <laughs> there you go. Take your goddamn <laughs> plates. That is an interesting request because your plates are your registration, right? Yeah, and he was yeah. a cute, wonderful old man drinking a juice box in February in Chicago, <laughs> like arm shaking as he walked up the thing, and he bought my worthless Beamer. Like it was, it was worthless, and he bought it, so I wasn't going to say no. Nice. But you you should say no. Say no, Bernard. <laughs> wow. Uh, so speaking of crazy a little bit, uh, let's look at that set for a quick minute, what yeah, we just did, the quick yeah. set. I noticed I definitely, because uh, I, re- I was thinking in my head, or I have an emotional drive. Like, I have an emotional drive. Pick an emotion and go for it. I think I found, I fell into like a pattern of kind of doing something similar. Regularly, I didn't make the strongest emotional choices I could have. Well, let's talk about neutral emotional choices. Like, I'm bored, or I'm neutral, or I'm feeling um, tired. You know, those are right. hard things to heighten because right. it's easy to get, you know, more lustful or more angry. It's harder to get more bored and keep it specific and interesting. Right. So it's sort of a trick that that I have, which is to reverse heighten, which is um, if you're going to be more boring, the world around you can get more interesting and you just get more bored at it it's like reverse it's (laughs) like i'm gonna say how this magical unicorn just flew across my vision and i'm gonna yawn i'm making the world more crazy as i get more and more tepid and that's that's a little trick to give you if you feel like you're in a scene like that also i would say that you can specify so if you've been sort of in this you know i'm bored thing well then what kind of boredom is it what uh other shades are attached to it are you bored because you have a loss in your life and you're feeling, you know, like there's no point in going on. Like you can specify it. Interesting. Can I coin that term lowering? 
lowering, <laughs> lowering yourself. That, yeah. Well, I do Is that love. A turn on a lot of coin. Can well, I call I it that? Lowering would be the opposite of hiding. So right. Be like, <laughs> I'm gonna rob a bank. I'm gonna rob the White House. I'm gonna rob this ATM. You're still heightening. It's yeah, just it's honoring the first idiot. thing you did. So if the first thing you did was to be really shy, then by the end you might be talking in a whisper and so so shy. Oh my goodness. And that's how you heighten into shyness. Right. So you're reverse heightening, pretty much pushing up the world around you. Yeah, it's just yeah. a trick. I mean, Sweet. and truly, you're getting more and more boring. But it's it can be hard to do that. So just make the world dance around you. You know. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. And that's kind of how the world works too. It's like if you know, if I'm you know in my front driveway and I'm shooting free throws and I don't really give a fuck, and then. You know, I'm at a inter. I'm like into a casual league of basketball, and now people are watching, and that's heightening the world around me. It's like, do I still give a fuck? I still give a fuck. Now I'm at the NBA Finals, and it's like super crazy, and I just don't give a fuck, right? Yeah. So it's like really like heightening, heightening, heightening everything around you to kind of point up that. Uh, yeah, we, not weak choice, but the. Uh... It's not a weak choice. It's a great choice. Any choice you make at the top of the scene okay. is great, but we have to powerfully and joyfully heighten it. And um, I also love what you just said because it reminded me of, like, Harold Beats and how to take this. And what we say at The Annoyance is everything we do here, you, we want you to be able to take into your next Harold. That was a great example of, like, okay, this heightening thing, I can use it if I'm looking at first beat, second beat, third beat. Right. I still play bored, but the world around me gets fucking dazzling. Mm-hmm. Nice. I found myself in that set at times, like, going for the easy, like, bump, 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 to get out, like, when you when you became a ghost in our scene. <laughs> and I, I reflected on myself afterwards. I was like, I wish I had stayed with the, oh, so now you're a ghost, Marsha, oh. which was my first choice. And I, right. I sort of abandoned it because it was like, oh, my God, he's a ghost. And, and that's just me, you know. I fuck it up as much as anyone else, but I wish I had held on to my thing because then your ghost thing would have been even in more contrast to my disdain. Yeah. You labeled it though because you didn't. You were just making a noise, and then I think I, I want to to to. to I, th- I think you had to while you were labeling it, it came a, a sense of surprise on yourself. You know, yeah, I got surprised yeah. by it. I was like, whoa! <laughs> I got excited by it, and um, I was actually going to like bait. Huh. And switch to go back to like, whoa, you're a ghost, you're a ghost. Not impressed. <laughs> Which is a move you can totally do. I think UCB right. might call that like resting the game. Yeah. Where right. you go away from it and come back to it. Mm-hmm. So if I found myself in that being like, oh, fuck, I-, I left my character. Well, I'll just smooth it over by bait and switching the audience and going back to, well, that was amazing, that was amazing. I was kidding. You're a fucktard, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> And I, I'm amazed how, of course, how ready to go you always were. Like, I found myself in two scenes, started with, uh, <laughs> and then that was just the thing I had to play with. And I realized there's no real emotional choice there. There's just, I mean, there is, but there's sort of just, I just chose the, the verbal pattern I was yeah, doing. Crazy. Well, to go, stuck with that. To go back to what you said, words are pawns on the improv chessboard. Right. And if you play with pawns, it's very hard to checkmate. Right. It's like, Whoa. you got to use some of like the more powerful tools, like, your emotion and how you say something and your physicality. There's all these tools that are more powerful pieces in your chessboard that in conjunction with words can be very aggressive moves. Wow. Yeah, so I think that exposes my mental process right now. Where I'm always looking for something to say. You're right playing away. with pawns. Playing with pawns. Wow, awesome metaphor. Where yeah. I should be where I should be playing with my queen, the emotion. Yeah. Or or my body shape, the rooks. Sure. You can make your own Finish the metaphor. Or, uh, your point of view, the bishop. Or the, thank you, thank you, my POV, the bishop. Or um, finish it. Uh, I was, was going to say, or of course, uh, the characters, your knights. Although everything makes a character, so that makes no sense. But no, keep going. You're going. I'm trying to think. What the hell is a knight? The knight, or your uh, ver- or your tone, the knight. Okay. Yeah, it's all interconnected. I there, I don't. If we, I could also this argue metaphor, that I, I could argue that the tone is just the first move upon that goes two spaces. We're saying with a more boring tone, or the, the tone just goes would be one space. What it's like when you sit down across I, from that person. Yeah, I think the first move is like that first palm because it's extra important. It's not just moving one space; it's moving two because it's your promise. It's got more importance to it than almost anything else you do in the scene. That first move. Yeah, it really does. And king is agreement. Sure. Ah, oh, <laughs> finished it. All right. Sure. Nice. Yeah, we should market that improv chess game. Oh my God, kill me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we'll market it together. Don't worry about it. I'll cut you in. All right. I'll cut you on the rights. It's on the record. Uh, yeah, yeah, right here. <laughs> Recorded. You 30 people heard what we just said. <laughs> and I'll hold you to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might end up just becoming an improv checkers board, honestly. Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, and also that was a thing. I also have an instinct like uh, to justify. 
So when people were taking my horses over and over again, that was just me playing, whatever. And I purposely fought against my instinct to justify why. Mm -hmm. I just thought we should just play the way we're playing. You're just a guy that loses horses because he doesn't speak fast enough. That may sound crazy. Yeah. To me, it doesn't even like, to me, that's completely normal at this point. And I think an audience is more on board with like the absurdity of that than we need to explain. Um, yes, we can justify it. To me, that sort of is explaining away the magic. The magic is that for whatever goddamn reason, you lose your horses when you don't speak fast enough. To me, if we were to explain exactly why that would happen, that would be the edit. Yeah. I, once you've explained it, okay, now we have to do something new because you've told us it. how the magic trick works. The magic is the horse is going. Yeah. The form is stylized in a certain way to be <laughs> welcoming to that. Right? Yeah. So like like it depends. I guess with different forms, there's different styles of how you play. Just like in theater styles, just Definitely. like there's a Elizabethan performance versus like a mammoth show versus like a, or whatever a, a, a contemporary show or something like that. The, the performance styles are different. They call for different things. And I'm gonna play differently if I'm performing at IO than I am at, or Second City than I do when I perform at an 11 p.m. show at the Annoyance. You know, you totally. you do have to. To, te- to to modify yourself, but I'm trying to always still do it with my first thing being important and honoring my deal. That doesn't leave. That's so ingrained in me now that I don't think I could ever get rid of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's important everywhere, right? Now, no one wants to see someone change their point of view. It doesn't work. Yeah. Let me just, oh, make up something new on stage. Like, that ever works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think it's only worked for me like once. character. But yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just being an asshole. No, yeah. It's never worked. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, you know, actually, there's this uh, amazing new pizza place uh, nearby, and I was oh, wondering yeah, if uh, Don Giorno. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you want to get some pizza with us? I'm really, I'm, I'm busy. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, you you said that you had the night off. Later. We finished a half an hour early. Yeah, you have that half an hour time. I need some me time. All right. Uh, that's been Improv Noise. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> that was Mr. Philip Markle, our Ooh. wonderful guest. Um, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, as always, my co-host, Brad Kula. I'm Stefan Schütte. I'm Stefan Schütte. Stefan Schütte. And, of course, our beautiful, beautiful little boy sound engineer. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the beautiful boy. <laughs> See, I don't want to edit that out. Andrew G. Hagemeister. I don't want to say that right. He is a grown man, man, uh, despite what security guards might think. Uh, I can also edit that out, too. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Gay guys, keep making it up, dude. Uh, Peace the fuck out. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out.